0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM.
1: Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. And like I have said just about every day, I cannot imagine where 2021 went. I mean, it seems like we were just looking back at 2020, thinking about so glad to get in 2021. And then, of course, we had to deal with the Delta variant and all that kind of came with that. And Wow, so many challenges. And I think when you have challenges, time goes by fast. I think that's the bottom line. But now we're looking ahead to 2022. And this is kind of a great time of the year to do that with Christmas behind us, looking forward to uh, uh, the new year. And, uh, you know, what does the new year have to bring? I think Mississippi, uh, certainly coast of Mississippi is well positioned to tackle 2022. But without any further ado, let's bring my friend Julian Ranking into the conversation, he's the executive director for the Walter Anderson Museum of Art in Ocean Springs, a, a coastwide leader. Somewhat, I, I really enjoy spending time with Julian. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. It's good to be with you.
1: Good. So look, as we have this conversation, um, there have been a string of book signings by by Robert Saint John and his partner involving the book. The family's been involved in some of those efforts, but it's great to see this new book and the documentary out there, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, um, this new Walter Anderson documentary, for folks who haven't seen it, it um, it takes a fresh look at the, sto- at the story that we all know, certainly many of us, even if we haven't seen all the other films in the past three decades, but this one's new and fresh and shows artwork that people haven't seen before. It's got all the family, the siblings, who um, the sons and daughters of Walter Anderson in it. And it's been really an amazing thing both for the filmmakers and the producers, Robert St. John and Anthony Thaxton, who was the filmmaker, um, but also the museum. So it's been really fun to celebrate with the, the filmmakers and producers. And also there's a book that accompanies it. So we love, of course, when folks take notice of Walter Anderson. And I think this is going to be an important piece of that as it potentially goes nationwide on different um you know PBS stations. So t- that's a, another thing to look forward to in 2022. I think that's probably going to happen.
1: Boy, boy, boy. Uh, I mean, what I've said on, uh, honestly on a number of occasions on this show is that, okay, first of all, the documentary, it's really well done. I mean, it's, it's really well done. And I don't know how they took this unbelievable collection of of stuff and brought it into this coherent uh, this coherent uh, documentary that covers every aspect of his life so you can, you know when you get done and I've watched it literally five times. So first of all, I'm a fan of Walter Anderson, but I'm but as an artist for sure, but I'm I'm a fan of his his as, as a philosopher, as a writer, as a thinker. And the, you know the kind of things that he said along the way, and they did a great job of sort of selecting some of his most profound, observations, you know, one of which I'll, I'll share with you in a second. Maybe you and I have talked about it before. But but I, I think it's going to, you know, I, I, I think we locally and to some extent, some people in the nation know Walter Anderson. But in the way that the book about George Orr changed his trajectory, I think this has the same opportunity. Particularly the book, when you accompany the book with the documentary, I think it has the same kind of potential Trajectory on increasing the value of his art, the awareness of him, and uh, and 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 really the thought about his his thinking, how he thought about things. Uh, do you think that it could have that same kind of an impact?
0: I do. I mean, it's not just the scope which we alluded to. If it if it does go wider than Mississippi, and it certainly got saturation within the state, but um, folks who haven't discovered Anderson, you know, uh, across the country. Certainly, there was a big show, an exhibition in 2003 of the centennial of Anderson's birth that was in Washington, D.C. That was the last time it really went national. So I look forward to folks discovering him. But to your point about him being a philosopher, you know, good ideas and writings and philosophies um, continue to regenerate. And that's what nature does as well. So it is a very poetic thing to have people who think they know Anderson, and they might, to, to see anew in this documentary, another look at him. One of the things that we talked about when we had a screening here at the museum and John Anderson, who is Walter Anderson's son, talked about as well, is that this documentary is an artist, Anthony Faxton, the filmmaker who's also a painter, looking at another artist. And so you get a really human view of who Walter Anderson was. And sometimes our heroes, especially mythic ones like Anderson, are a little bit removed. We know the, the legend, but we don't really know who this person was. And I think this documentary does a great job of bringing folks in concert and in conversation with who Anderson really was through his family, but also through some of the humorous anecdotes that I'd never heard before. That you get to to, to find when you when you watch the film and the book too is just a beautiful full color, um, hundreds of pages of again Anderson's work that has not been seen some of it ever, and so it's really really cool to see it come together.
1: You know the love between Walter Anderson and Sissy was truly incredible, and I loved I loved how in the documentary they they spoke when he when when they when they had quotes from Walter Anderson there was a f- f- first person quote as if, as if it, this were his voice when he would say things like i put made a note dearest sissy i'm dying of thirst if i don't see you and the, and, the, and that's that unique voice they use in the documentary you really i mean that part, i kept, i kept thinking about ernest hemingway constantly when when i was hearing him talk because it it felt like that to me but um, but man, this guy spent a lot of a lot of time thinking. He, I re, one of the things I made a note of is he said, "Just remember, discontent is one of the penalties of greatness. That you can never, you know, that the great people, people striving to be great, can never be satisfied. That you have to be always, you know, not content." And uh, his life was a man of, of discontent, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and that's something that honestly, even with contemporary studies now and kind of human psychology that we're finding, too, is that, you know, and everyone who's an artist or a creator or entrepreneur knows this, is that the striving is always accompanied by a challenge. And something you'd mentioned, too, just thinking about the last couple of years of the challenges we've faced. Um, but the because of that challenge, the the high points are that much higher. And it's certainly true with Anderson that he was purposely courting disaster in some cases, the way he would go out to Horn Island in his little rowboat and his skiff. And even staying on there, of course, as we know, when Hurricane Betsy came through in 65. Um, but but this idea that the, the two are not uh, mutually exclusive, that in fact, they have to be linked, this trial and tribulation, along with success and, and vision. And so that's something that as coastal Mississippi people, we can really be proud of that we have someone like Anderson to model that. And I think once you open your eyes to that reality, you see it in your neighbors, um, in the businesses in your communities, and you start to understand that you know, when we embrace the challenge and we embrace the complexities of, of our existence, um, we can actually have um, happiness—not uh, not just despite the challenge, but because of of, of the challenge.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, there's so many kind of eye-opening moments, and I might have shared this particular quote with you before, but I've certainly read it many times on this show because, to me, it captures the essence of his abilities to see. His natural environment and observe about it, you know, what, what he observed, and, and it was this one. Uh, all movement is to invisible music. It comes from the sun and the wind and the running rabbit and a crowing cock and together it is part of a great symphony. The longer we listen and the quieter we are, the more we hear. And when we do hear, we are part of the music instead of an unwelcome interruption. Wow. Amazing. You know, he said, and that that came after spending so much time on Horn Island, that solitude. You know, he he was, as one of his sons said, he was, he was, he lived in solitude, but was never lonely. You know, he just he found this connection with his natural environment, and it and it certainly represented itself through his through his art, but it also represented itself through his little poetry. I mean, this guy was just his ability to see the world as it was and describe it in words was really really powerful
0: yeah and i think too the the prescient nature of some of that I mean, I mean thinking about what you talked about with the unwelcome interruption walter anderson died in 1965 and so he was long gone when you know the technological revolution that preceded the internet when you know home computers were around and then we got all connected and now we have everything the world in our our hands our fingertips and we're we're seeing that in some cases this has been you know one of the things that's taken us away from nature or from spending time with one another or being present and so i think it's really compelling that you know the the lessons that he was finding in his own modern world which he viewed in much the same way that many of us might view where we're living now is that there's so much noise and when you can Either through physical placement, going out somewhere, an island, or into the woods, when you can separate yourself from all of the the ticking clocks and the challenges of of keeping up with um, you know your, your your constant feeds and your notifications and so forth, you can you can get rejuvenated. And I think that's that's one of those lessons that we, as a museum, try to keep alive is that all of these things can be applied to a contemporary space. And that's one of the most important ones, I think. And People who come in the museum when they see the work, there's just something about the, the place, the museum itself, but also the art that, that really is calming and allows folks to look a little closer and listen a little more deeply, and, and that's what it's all about.
1: He had a, a strong desire to define the beauty beauty of humanity, as he put it, and he was wanting to do as good a job at that as, was, as, as was possible. He would probably be thrilled to see. his passing this great appreciation for his art but as as with many great artists we don't really understand them until long after they're gone when we come back we're going to continue the conversation i particularly have been really interested in the community center and i didn't know really until i watched a documentary how, how doing it, the, the, uh, uh, painting the murals there were so positioned on the timeline to China the visit to China. We'll come back to this. This is Julian Rankin from the Walter Anderson Museum.
0: His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast one hundred three point one.
1: His son Walter Anderson's son said that the smaller the boat you use, the bigger the island. <laughs> and boy did did uh, Walter Anderson row from Ocean Springs to uh, to. Uh, Horn Island in a small boat, and it was it was uh, amazing. Of course, he had all kinds of interesting moments along the way in those journeys. But you know, as I mentioned before, we went to break. Uh, we're we're spending some time with Julian Rankin, the executive director for the Walter Anderson Museum, and one of the most articulate people I know. He's just a he's just a really really good dude, and very 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 significant in terms of the art community in coastal Mississippi. But what I mentioned is I didn't realize that the trip to China I mean this is Walter Emerson was a world traveler he 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 went way beyond coast of mississippi to try to understand how he fits into the world his trip to China was incredibly important to him and not long after he came back he started the murals at the community center which as we were kind of talking about during the break he would draw something and he wouldn't be pleased with it and he would paint over it again and there were, there were uh, lots of attempts over the years after that people didn't understand the value of it. They wanted to paint over it and move on. Tell kind of the unique story of the community center.
0: Right. well, just to orient folks, this is the you know 3,000 square feet roughly of murals here in downtown Ocean Springs attached to the museum and Anderson painted them you know, you know, right after the museum, excuse me the community center was built in 1950. So about 18 months following that, 51 and 52 he painted these. But to your point, it was all precipitated by a trip to China in 1949. And he was fascinated with global cultures and art from across the continents. And so when he went to China, he was actually seeking um, Tibetan temple art and found along the way all these little small provinces and, and places in China. And, um, and they all had some sort of community art, some place that spoke to what the uh, identity of the community was, the natural landscapes, and it really gave a civic anchor to the place. And so this, again, was not only just this trip, but years before in 1927, he had gone to France and found the cave paintings and this same idea of people making marks on walls. So when he came back to Ocean Springs following that and the community center was just built, he really wanted to do something for the coast and for his his hometown. And so these murals, they, they really go through all of the different slices of biodiversity. They chart the history of, of Ocean Springs and the coast from the indigenous societies to the the French landing and so forth. And so it's really a monumental work. But, um, but what's really, really unique about it is that it does point people back to the beauty and magic of their surroundings. And it's really important that it's still owned by the city of Ocean Springs, that it's a civic place, sometimes a polling place. I think that's really what Anderson w- would have wanted is that, you know, folks are treating this as part of their everyday life where they gather and and can celebrate what it means to live in a, in a community.
1: And he did a lot, a lot of drawing, a lot of painting while he was in China. And that influenced his style considerably as he went in to do the murals, didn't it?
0: It did. And this was part of a long, you know, really tradition of him finding these archetypal motifs. People who know about Anderson know about his seven motifs, these spirals and squiggly lines and half circles. There were seven of them that he had picked up. And around 1950, as he's moving, this is really when he has consolidated and distilled his unique style. He had experimented with a number of styles when he was in college in the 20s, when he was working in the 30s. He was making block prints in the 40s, started really to become a, a visionary creator. And then by the time in, in 1950, when he's painting these murals, he knows who he is as an artist. He knows what his philosophies are. And so you can see in the, the borders of the, of the windows, for example, in the community center, these really cool uh, decorative uh, motif driven um, patterns that really look like they could have existed at any time in the world but also things that are specific to Ocean Springs at that time when he was painting. And so that's a cool thing about Anderson is that he was connecting time and place, but doing it through this lens of, of Ocean Springs and coastal Mississippi. And to your point, just to, to say, you know, folks who were living here in 1950 and 60s and 70s and even 80s and perhaps today, although very few, much fewer now, um, didn't understand what the significance of it was. He was a, uh, an avant-garde artist, but now we know um, much more than we did then when folks were you know smoking cigarettes and having parties in the community center back when that was still something you did. Now it's protected and celebrated and preserved, and that's how it should be.
1: Wow, that's such, such a fascinating story. If you haven't seen it, you have to go take a look at that. It's an, amazing, it's an amazing thing. I would say watch the documentary first, then go over there and take it all in so you can fully appreciate what it is you're looking at. So as you look back on 2021, um, Good good, year for the, for the museum?
0: It was. It's been really, you know, despite, as we mentioned earlier, all the, the craziness, it's been a, a wonderful year for us in terms of our continued growth and responding to the needs of our communities, our programs and initiatives that we've launched. We've continued to expand our campus. It, it was the 30th anniversary of the museum, so it was a very busy year for us. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to, you know, open the museum, stay open safely, and, and take care of the community. Um, but also just continue to look ahead. You know, what is the future in the next 30 years of this museum as our campus grows, as our staff expertise and capacity grows, and as our partnerships continue to grow? And so, looking to 2022, I'm really excited about continuing that upward trajectory. And um, and it's just a lot of fun stuff too. I mean, I'll just mention, you know, we, you know, when we were fundraising this year, we we, um, and this is actually still going on now. We decided to. To create a, a custom Anderson golf cart, so if folks go on our website now, they'll find a, a custom-built club car that's wrapped in Walter Anderson art. Because so many of these coastal towns love to love their golf carts, so it's just a fun connection there. We we understand how people live in their contemporary worlds, and and we're applying art even to those spaces. And so we try to be fun and um, and you know some of the coolest people and coolest I like to think we're the coolest museum in Mississippi. But also we we're always Um, using a foundation of Anderson's art, trying to share it in as many different ways as we can.
1: So exciting. So exciting. I loved, you know, we've talked about this many times, but I just love going to downtown Ocean Springs, the way the museum is sort of oriented to downtown. um, It's just, you know, I'm sure that you you people are just walking by and say, oh, I didn't know this was here. And they just mosey in and get completely blown away with, this incredible artist that maybe they didn't know about. I'm sure you see that all the time. And I, I tell you, one, you mentioned it and You mentioned it pretty rapidly, but uh, as we've discussed on past shows, I think one of the most important things you do is in your community outreach. This whole notion of community building and the, and the role that the Walter Anderson Museum can play in facilitating these connections between the various constituency groups that are part of the community so that we can make sure that art isn't just you know, it doesn't just exist, but it exists for some reason that is locally derived, that that is that is unique, that is part of who we are that so that it can have meaning. And that's really important to you, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and we've exceedingly uh, thought about and started to do this more, you know, the, the connection between culture and economy. I mean, you know, where we live in a beautiful capitalist society, you know, everything does Rely on economic activity, you know, whether you're you have a passion that want to start a business or you know, a radio show, or you want to be an artist, that there's a monetary um, role to that. And that's what fuels, of course, livelihoods and quality of life for everyone. So the more we've experimented with whether it's workforce development or just partnering with other institutions or artists or community members or entrepreneurs, restaurateurs you know, we really have thought about the importance of culture in driving that community development. And I think it's important, as you're saying, that art is not just something that's preserved as a product. It's a process of thinking, of connecting to place, of being a homegrown uh, philosopher in your own way, whether you're a business owner or thinking about what your career might be, or you're a leader in some other uh, sphere of life or work. And so that's where we find our sweet spot. And that could be science, it could be engineering, it could be any number of things. And and our programs reflect that. So I think as people look ahead at what the museum will mean and continue to do in coastal Mississippi and beyond, it's going to be that kind of leadership. It's going to be to connect silos um, that previously might not have seen each other as related. But back to Anderson, everything is interconnected. And and that that symphony that you talked about, um, that's really what makes coastal Mississippi and the whole South a really beautiful place to be.
1: I love it. You'll be part of it instead of an unwelcome uh, intrusion or interruption, I guess is the word to use instead of an unwelcome interruption. I mean, that's, you know, one of the things I love about the outdoors is the ability to just go sit and and just let nature happen around you, you know. When you first get there, you don't hear much, but the longer you sit there, the more you start to hear. Nature starts to wake back up again. And, and my trips to Horn Island in particular, because I've become such a fan of Walter Anderson, when I'm there, Whether I'm wade fishing, walking down the beach, whatever it might be Everywhere you look, everywhere you look It might be a horseshoe crab or a snowy egret Or an alligator or a seagull or a pelican Or or the way that the, the pine trees are oriented to the sand dunes Or whatever it might be Everywhere you look Walter Anderson's captured it, captured some aspect of it and I don't know. There's really, literally, not some aspect of that that he hasn't captured. I mean, it's because of that total immersion there. And if you, you know, if you if you spend time at Horn Island and you haven't immersed yourself in Walter Anderson, you should, because it what will well it will do is is, is make a whole another dimension to your visit to Horn Island. You'll see things you didn't see before. They'll have more meaning than they have before. Final word as we come, as we close into the last minute, Julia.
0: Yep, I just agree with you. You know, I think Anderson was an experiential artist. He wanted us to get out there and and find our own truth, our own vision, our own uh, wonderful uh, place and sense of place. And he gave us a blueprint to do that. So I hope folks carry that into 2022 with them.
1: That would be a lot of fun. If you haven't been to the museum, boy, put that on your to-do list. It's something you really need to do. This has been Julian. Rankin from the Walter Anderson Museum. It's been a pleasure, buddy. Happy New Year to you guys, and we'll see you after the the turn of the uh, – we'll see you in 2022 is what I'm trying to say. See you then, buddy. Thank you.
0: Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop,
1: desktop, or on your
0: phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media
1: production.